0: So uh, Lennox, welcome to the journey. And uh, this is Lennox Barnett, and uh, Lennox and I have known each other for, for I don't even know how long, very, very long time. Quite a while, yeah, yeah, quite a long time. With with uh, my niece and nephew going to Rockford Christian, and then and then later when Caleb and Sierra were at Rockford Christian. So, and I appreciate the impact you've had on yeah. on their lives. But let me let me share just a little bit about um, the journey. Is um, uh, an opportunity for individuals to come on and tell their story of Maybe they've had uh, some kind of uh, setbacks in their life, maybe some kind of, of struggle in their life, some opportunity to, have, uh, to fail forward, that the obstacles that in their life actually were the opportunities for growth. And, um, and other times, it may be where someone has transformed their life, uh, changed, their, changed their stars um, from what maybe originally looked like they were dealt to um, what was waiting for them uh, beyond. And so, um, so well, Lennox, welcome, uh, welcome to the journey. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what's what's going on with you now and where you're at. I know quite a bit about your story, but um, just for the people who are um, uh, listening right now, tell us a little bit. What what do you do for fun? What does Lennox do for fun?
1: <laughs> That's a thank you, Kevin. It's an, it's quite an honor to to be here with you and uh, to um, you know that, just the opportunity to you know to share that story always take advantage of that so thank you um oh man what do i do for fun there's um you know um so many different things that i'm trying to think about one of the things i i i I love to do is um um you know i'm I'm a musician so you know you know singing is probably one of my primary ways to kind of enjoy what i do i love water sports so i like to um get out there and um wakeboard a little bit. like boating, I like jet skiing, and, sure. um, you know, um, yeah, and I love seeing the world. Okay. You know, love that. Sure, sure. Okay. And you are married to a beautiful lady,
0: uh, Allie, and you have two just beautiful girls, and, yep. and uh,
1: so you, you and Allie have been uh, married for how long? So, Alan and I have been married for about eight years now. So okay. it was eight years um, in June of, of this year. Okay, all right. Yeah. And then
0: two little girls. Let's uh, tell us a little bit about them.
1: Yep, got two little girls. Um, thank you. Yeah, they are they are really beautiful. I'll I'll say so myself. Yeah, you know I'm <laughs> um, credit to my wife. Um, but uh, uh, Ashlyn is going to be turning five here in December. Okay, which is hard to believe. Uh, Elliot is. Almost two, so she'll turn two here in, on October 5th. Okay, and she was our miracle baby. She was born, um, at about 32 weeks and was spent, you know, some time in the NICU, but. Um, you look at her I mean she's small so you mm-hmm. can tell she's small but you know other than that I mean she just is doing wonderful doing great So, sure. well good yeah. deal
0: good deal I know that that was uh, a scary time uh, for you guys during that time period and um, and as, as well as there was a lot of different things that were going on in your guys' uh, personal life and, and Allie does has uh, is, is involved with helping youth uh, so she's working full time as well as uh, working with the uh, taking care Care of the girls, and um, and, and, and you obviously are going to get into your story about all the different things that you're doing. But, yeah. um, well, why don't, why don't we start there? Why don't we go ahead and just kind of jump into it? Um, you were you're not from the United States. You were actually born in Jamaica. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, uh about that? You know, a little bit of just kind of a, a an overall summary of uh how you how everything you, where you were born, what was going on, and a little bit about that part of the story.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you know, it's, uh, the question always um, comes up. It's like, how did you get here? Sure. So you yeah. were born in Jamaica. Yeah. And yes, that this this is true. Um, it started out, you know, with me being born in Jamaica, born blind. Actually, my mom uh, contracted German measles while she was hospitalized on uh, on bed rest uh, when she was about six months pregnant with me because of. Um, She was actually diagnosed with hypertension uh, probably, I would say, probably three years before um, I was born or conceived. And uh, so as a result of that, she had high blood pressure. The pregnancy was high risk. Got admitted. They put her next to somebody who had German measles. And um, uh, out of that, um, I was born, but born blind, born with congenital glaucoma. When I was um, born, my grandma that morning when they found out that I was born with glaucoma decided that, you know, God started a good work from, from from day one and kept me alive thus far with all the stuff that my mom was going through medically. And the doctors didn't even find out that my mom had the measles because back then they probably would have taken the baby. And uh, so she says, I'm going to just pray that God would finish what he started. So she prayed and, and it within... Uh, well, in in eight short years, which seemed like it was forever, but um, my eyes were open. God just miraculously healed my eyes. I was born with congenital glaucoma. There's no cure for glaucoma with all the modern advances in medicine to this very day. Okay. And so, um, to be able to see after being born blind is a complete miracle. Um, and you were about how many how many months did they notice that
0: you started having sight?
1: So I actually I was 8 years old. 8 years old. So I can remember being blind. Okay. Um okay. absolutely. And so um after um having um received uh, you know getting my sight back, getting you know getting healed, uh my mom was always I would say about at least once or twice a year should be admitted in the hospital. Mm. And finally um uh unfortunately, uh she passed away. Uh, when I was just before my fourteenth birthday okay um lived I lived in a very um poor part of the country. I was in Kingston, but in um kind of uh, the 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 ghettos of Kingston and um my mom was always in the hospital though she worked at the hospital, she was more of a pa- more of a patient than a caregiver. and so you know, means and, and ends and and all of that were, were pretty tight. Um, my father was a father of 23 children on the island, and um, my mom only had three boys, and they were all his, but uh, he was busy um, multiplying and being fruitful. And so they weren't together, and that also created a bit of a strain. I didn't know who he was. I knew, I mean, I knew who he was, but didn't have a relationship with him, mm-hmm. for lack of a way to explain that. So that was going on all the while while growing up, and then my mom suddenly passed away and my grandma was um just just had retired and um wasn't able to take care of me with the pension that she was on so then they decided that I would become a ward of the state um, but beautiful um, part of the journey was after receiving my sight, I was able to um see a little bit, so the doctors thought, well, it would be best for me to actually go to a school where I would learn how to, you know, read Braille and how to be a highly effective, you know, um, you know, I would say visually impaired young man, and so um, the Salvation Dermot School for the Blind was in Kingston, one of the only blind schools in the Caribbean, and I was, um, you know, sent to that, I enrolled there as a, a, a young boy and learned to read Braille, but after my mom died, uh, they had an orphanage that was attached to the, the school for the blind, so I just, you know, enrolled in that as well. Okay. Um, after being there about a year um, into it, a group came down on a mission trip and they met me and they said, "Hey, we love you so much. We just want to take you back to the U.S. with us." And um, miraculously, that paperwork that was supposed to take you know eighteen uh, months came through in a matter of hours. Mm-hmm. And I was back in the United States for the actually into the United States for the first time here in Rockford, Illinois, of all places. Um, Went to Rockford Christian Schools, and um, in the meantime, lived with this family. And then after um, just about my senior year, they decided to take a different direction in where their lives were headed, Um, and so they asked me to either find someplace else to labor, go back to Jamaica. And it was at that point where a few families, um, especially, um, the Nyquist, um, decided to take me in as part of theirs. And, um, I was able to continue to live here, worked at Rockford Christian, but then, um, this church called Heartland community church started and I was able to jump on board, be a part of that starting and met my wife there. And, um, served there for about 15 years. Okay. Okay. But in the midst of serving there, you know, we're talking about journey, and we're mm-hmm. talking about story. Yeah. Um I have this extensive story of miracles and of setbacks, yeah. And and literally falling upwards <laughs> sure, and sure. trying to figure out, well, what does this all mean and who am I and what what do I have to contribute um uh to society? And yeah, well, let me just just before we jump into that, well, we go back to when you were
0: younger, mm-hmm. right? And I want to ask a little bit about that, and and the part of the reason why why I want to do that is because I don't want to lose that piece, right? Mm-hmm. And um, because we talk a lot of times when you like the people that have been visually, you know, had had their eyesight their whole life, mm-hmm. just don't we just don't know what sure. it's like to be either visually impaired or, or to be blind, right? Mm-hmm. And and then we hear someone who goes from blind to being able to see, yeah. we, we we just put it like, almost like as if it was a story that was told long ago and we're not necessarily, or, or at Christmas time or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanna ha- ask you a little bit more about, like you were eight years old, Prior to eight years old, you could see nothing at all. Yes, nothing at all. No, no shapes, no.
1: Yeah, no shapes, no color, no lights, just yeah. so, so darkness.
0: So what was, yeah, what was that like? For, if, trying to remember. I mean, because you didn't. It wasn't like you you knew what it was like to see, and then you didn't see. You just this had been your normal. Mm-hmm. and so what what from what you remember and again you were pre-eight years old but from what you do remember of that what was that like how how do you recall and your mom was alive but she was sick mm-hmm. and you now was it just you and your mom at, at that time
1: so yeah um when my, my brothers were around they were both um at home uh, okay. and and normally in the caribbean and the third world countries like a family would say for example you know you you have a a a lot uh, you know where that your know, your house is built on. Like you have land, and mm-hmm. um, what would what you tend to do is um, leave space for your kids to come and build on that land or have. So my grandma, when she bought the land in Kentire, which is in this um, uh, kind of a, I wouldn't say remote, but a rural area, rural village area, um, she mm-hmm. bought enough land that um, my my my. Mom could move on it, and my other aunt could move on it, and so you know we had this this space. Mm -hmm. And my brothers, you know, they didn't really leave home yet. Up top of where our house was, my brother was living um, just behind us, and my grandma was right next to us. I mean, you could step from one roof to the next. That's how close we were um, with each other. So my brothers were there. Um, My mom was around, and and my grandma. And the cool thing is that when I was. diagnosed with glaucoma my grandma believed that god who started a good work would complete what he started so she says you know i'm gonna pray about it the morning actually when my mom my grandma my grandma was the one who found out that my mom had the measles mm. she came into the hospital to visit and when she saw my gra- my mom with this this rash she says hey um i need to figure out why you why you have this rash so she goes and she asks the nurse um what is the lady in next to my daughter for and the nurse says oh she has the measles and my grandma knew right away, if the doctors found out that my mom had contracted the measles, they would actually terminate the pregnancy mm. because of the the birth defects that yeah. would come following you know the birth because of me being you know um being devuled yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so with that said, my grandma then went home and started praying and started this prayer chain and this prayer meeting that meant every single Saturday night, so much so that. Um they started a church in our front yard. There was mm-hmm. so much that they, they, they planted a church. They built a church. Okay. So okay. there's two houses, well, three, one up back, and then a church in the front yard. Okay. So okay. being that being you know, saying all of that, um to your your, your, your question, being blind, I mean, it's harder to describe what's it like. Um it's just you know, complete darkness. Like mm-hmm. you you Know and I didn't know that because I was born that way, yeah. Um, it was just normal for me, right? It was funny though that I would say, uh, I would hear, Well, you got a, a new shirt today, and that was very rare. But mm-hmm. when I would hear that, I get so excited, I'd say, Yeah, what color is it? and they'd say, Oh, it's red. I say, Oh my, that's that's nice, <laughs> but I had no concept of red. Sure. And when somebody said, Oh, um, and this is happening, and they would describe it to me, I couldn't. It, it's hard to, to, to distinguish, but I couldn't, like, see shapes um, or, or color or shades, but I could sense it on the inside. Like, somebody would say, oh, it looks like this. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I could just sense it. Mm-hmm. I, it mm-hmm. was so interesting. Sure. I mean, I could smell anything. I could hear anything.
0: Yeah. You and, know? Yeah, and they talk about this idea that if one of your senses is not accessible right mm-hmm. that your other senses uh, are amplified exactly and yes. and so now thinking back about that because I think of like you know like when we dream right mm-hmm. and so there's visuals when yes. we dream hmm but in your particular case when you if you dreamt or when you dreamt when you were six years old
1: oh, mm-hmm. uh, Was it again? Was it what kind of? What was the sensation? So it was. It was was very sensory. So like you could just like sense that person. So like voices, sounds, and smells Mm -hmm. is what you kind of. And it's weird to to dream about smells. Yeah. But you do. You do. You just know. Um, And like say for example. you never had. I never had a concept of what, what a place looked like, but I knew where what, how I felt when I was there. Yeah, I knew how I felt when I was at my house. I knew, and and one of the funny things w- is when you are blind and you're taken out of an environment that you're used to, you're totally dependent on a person. So you associate being in a place where you are, um, where you're not familiar with being being there with that person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. If you are there by your, your, your yourself and you don't know, there's a different sensation there. It's a it's a kind of a a sensation of what's happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know, you know, and you I, I, I know that feeling. So when you dream, say for example, you know, sometimes you have dreams where you're you're at a place that, that's from that's not familiar, but you're seeing things. Yep. Um, for me, I wouldn't see things, but I'd sense that uh, uh, it would be kind of a whoa. This is strange. I, I'm a little vulnerable. I'm very vulnerable because I don't know where I'm at. I'm going to run into something, or it was more of a fearful like I'm out of place, mm-hmm. and I don't. There's nobody here who I can associate with that brought me here, or sure. I can. You know, lean on. So it's kind of it's an interesting interesting deal, but I didn't know any different. Right. That was a way of life for yeah, me. Yeah. I mean, instead of seeing somebody, I would sense them. I could I could touch anything and kind of figure out exactly what it is. And I would remember the shape right away. So even in my dreams, I would remember the shapes of things. And it would be a thing, right. you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's that just, makes yeah. sense. No, but.
0: that's that's probably the best description that I've ever heard yeah. about that. Um, and, and so now you, you go through this process, right? Grandma's praying. Mm-hmm. All these individuals are praying for God's work to be completed within you. And specifically, right, mm-hmm. they were praying intentionally about that your sight would be restored. Yes, and 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 so, <clears throat> so this starts. Was it like an all of a sudden? Like all of a sudden, you could see, or did it like come over uh, a, a a period of time?
1: Okay, so yeah, it was. Um, it was. It, w- it was both ends. So it was okay. like, I was. I was at nothing, and then um, what had happened was they. The doctors had done a procedure. Um, to kind of just relieve pressure, just relieve fluid from my eyes. Because so, that's part of what the, so, with the glaucoma is, there's yes, pressure. Yes, yeah. yep, yep, it increased pressure behind the optic nerve. So they had to it, to kind of release some pressure, and um, so they would poke, you know, some holes. Now they do it with lasers, but back then they just literally poke some holes to, to kind of drain off pressure. That doesn't do anything um, to make you see, and they explain glaucoma like this: that the, the optic nerve is like, um, like a, a mirror that, um, that you know that it, when light's reflected on it, you can see. So if you re- erase the reflective part of the mirror, like just scrape it off, there's nothing, right. and there's nothing they can do to replace that. Gotcha. And so, um, when they did this procedure, it wasn't to make me see; it was to relieve pressure mm-hmm. and help with pain management. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden. They, I'm in recovery, and they take the patches off, and I start to scream. And I remember it was just, it was, I don't think a migraine hurt that bad. It was just like um, a, a, a tremendous um, kind of a earthquake going on in your head. Um, and what was happening, as I'm older now and I can kind of reflect, what was happening is my brain was trying to go, what in the world is going on? And my eyes were going, what in the world? And they were both not, they they never talked to each other before, okay. right? My brain would tell my hands to look. Yeah. My brain would tell my nose to look. My brain would tell my ears to look, mm-hmm. you know? And so right now, my brain's kind of going, what do you do? And my eyes going, what are you telling me to do? And so um, after they figured out that I started to see, um, it was first light and then it gradually, you know, I mean, you started seeing, you know, obviously objects and shapes and all that, but had no concept of what those things were. I remembered having to learn how to even open a door um, normally. Which you knew how to open. Before I knew. That. How, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I now, knew how to open before that by using my hands, by stretching my hands out forward, stepping forward and, and, and kind of moving my hands back and forth um, as they're stretched out. Just to not trip over anything or run into anything, but to find the door. When I found the door, I would reach my hand up the door and then come down till I felt the handle. Once I felt the handle, I know I would turn or push up or down and pull towards me or push. Mm-hmm. All right? I, know, I knew the, those motions. But then my eyes, once they started working, um, they would see the door. But my brain... Uh, my eyes didn't know that that was the door I'm going for, but my and my brain would still tell my hands, find a door. Mm-hmm. But then my eyes would start to go, but am I seeing the door? Um, is that the door? And my brain would go tell my, so my hands and my eyes were doing this this fighting thing. And my brain was trying to play referee. Mm-hmm. It was a weird thing. But then I had to learn um, to look at the door Look at the handle, and then tell my hands reach, reach, then pull, push, or lift up or lift down. Mm. So it was kind of it was an interesting, but it took yeah. a couple of years, took like a while. Oh, I bet um, I to kind of reach that. Even now, if you were to hand me like a dollar bill, like really quickly, um, I would literally put my hand up, but I would pause first, look at it, and take it. I still have that kind of a slow reflex where I have to think about it sure. <laughs> and my brain goes all right there it is you see it okay reach and take it so i know this is like a really general question right? yeah what i would say
0: but is there because this um the site didn't be, begin the process of restoration until you were eight so mm-hmm. this zero to eight mm-hmm. was this sense of being able to this emotional trusting mm-hmm. and learning and sensing with with what now would be your eyes closed. Yes, is there like when you're doing some type of activity like I've like wh- I've watched you worship and I've watched you sing numerous times, mm-hmm. and there'll be times when your eyes are closed. Yes, and 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 I imagine that you probably can wakeboard and Mm uh and and water street probably with your eyes closed just as good as you can with your or maybe better with your eyes open (laughs) yes is there is there a is there a sense that that's almost like a is there a comfort place there
1: yeah there, there there is um yes there 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 is and there is also um it there it's both in so there's a it's a sense of comfort right especially when I'm fearful about something. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can't see it, it's, I tell myself it's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also, um, a sense of like, um, I don't want to close my eyes cause I don't want to close it and go back to it never being opened again. Mm. Okay. But so there's, it's, it's tricky. It's kind of both ends. Okay. okay. Um, but you know, for me, you know, even in in worship, what I when I close my eyes, sometimes you know, they they used to say, well, you know, when you go pray, to say, you know, you know, you know, clasp your hands or put your hands together and close your eyes. And people would say in the church, well, you know, why do you why did it close? Your, is is that a God? Did God say we should do that? Or and and people say no, it's just to eliminate distraction, mm-hmm. right? And for me in worship, that is because um. I had a view of God that was personal, that's way different than what I I have now having sight. When I couldn't see um, and I would hear my grandma sing and pray on those Saturday nights and they would pray um, for me and all of that, there was just this... This view of God that I can't even explain. I don't think I'm going to be able to put a finger on it again until I get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And when I lead worship and I close my eyes in those moments, I'm going after those moments, those mm-hmm. sacred, that sacred space that I used to sit in on a Saturday night and le- and listen to my grandma sing, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. Mm-hmm. Or draw me nearer and nearer, blessed Lord, to so thy precious bleeding side just even um to think about about that right now it's just like yeah (laughs) but outside of that when i would close my eyes though for other reasons it would be about okay it's a safe place to to kind of get away from fear itself Mm -hmm, mm so interesting
0: okay well thank you very much for sharing that because i it's I, we I do a lot of meditation and mm-hmm. and spend time doing meditation and I and I recognize for me part of me being able to go into that space go into that God space is being able to close my eyes and mm. but I can still be distracted with my thoughts yes and mm-hmm. and so it isn't just not having the visual stimulation but when I can, release those thoughts and, and, and then gently go back to that focal point. Um, there is that space. And so I was just, I was curious, especially because the time period in your life of when that was, and then, and, and it, and I've never heard someone explain it the way you did today, so thank you, mm-hmm. about the transition, right? Yeah. So we, we think, of course, like in the movies, that's bam, all of a sudden site's there and everything, you know. Yeah. N- now all of a sudden you're doing everything. You can everything. do everything, yeah. yeah, no. No, not at mm-hmm. all. It's It's, it's like... You know, being restored to be able to walk, mm-hmm. right? And or after a surgery or something, you know, yes. it, it takes time um, for your body to, um, and it takes a lot of work yes. to 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 bring the two together. So, well, mm-hmm. thank you very much for sharing that part of the story. Yeah. Um, so, so, to fast forward, um, mm-hmm. when did singing start? When did the music start? Obviously, Grandma had a huge part in that. Yes. You know, and and those are some of your you know core sacred things you remember growing mm-hmm. growing up but w- when did music start for you when did when did the singing start for you when did the playing instruments when did all that come and what does that what does music mean to you
1: yeah so yeah um great question you see music like I said earlier music music re- actually started when um from, from a very young age my grandma would have these Saturday night prayer mm-hmm. meetings yeah and she would, um, you know, people would gather and my grandma was like a song leader in the church. They didn't have instruments, um, or, you know, maybe they had maybe a guitar or if, if they were lucky uh, and what they would do was they would gather and for worship, they would say, all right, would you turn to, there's one of two ways. If it's worship, if it's praise and worship, they go, she can, um, sister Williams, can you raise a lively chorus? <laughs> it's funny they would say it all like, sister williams can you raise a live raise a lively chorus okay. she would just you know and i remember um you know um she would say and one of the ones that she would always raise is um you know she um she goes can, can you raise a lively because she goes mm, better days are coming by and by and people just would start singing they knew Exactly where she was going with that. Yeah. So, they would, you know, that's Raising a Lively Chorus. Sure, sure. And then they'd say, we'll turn to, um, you know, hymn number 636. Um, Sister Williams, can you raise the chorus? And then she would just go, mm, oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. And then the whole congregation would just,
0: Belted right out it. Sure, sure. in
1: worship. So I would hear this, you know, even in this prayer meeting setting every um, Saturday night. And there's just the hymns of her faith that she would sing. And, and all these, you know, people who, who had gathered um, would, would, would sing out so loud. And so it would be, and of course, I was blind and I was in that space mm-hmm. like we talked about, right? Yep. Yep. And I was just having, hearing these sacred words and the, the deep, rich, theology that was coming out and then hearing i mean if you hear a caribbean person um you know somebody from a third world country who has nothing but the power and the reality of the person of jesus christ in their life that's their sustainer when they sing something it's just it's something powerful happens when they lift their voices and it's like 30 of them yeah so i would hear that and i'd be caught up in this yeah and it would be a safe place for me. It would be a place of comfort, and it would be a place. It's a. It would be that that space, a God space for me. Mm-hmm. So that was always in the back of my mind. The church started in our front yard, and of course, I was musical because of my grandma. And you know, Jamaica is known for reggae music. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I was torn. And as I got older, um, you know, it was like if you're a Christian, you don't listen to reggae music and you don't sing it. Mm-hmm. And if but if you're not, that's your thing. If you're if you love music, right? And Bob Marley used to always say one good thing about music is when it hits you you feel no pain and i love living in that world mm-hmm. so i was just battling with that for the longest time and wouldn't want to n- never wanted to really make a decision to say well i stepped across the line of faith because then that means i would put aside my my love for good reggae music mm-hmm. and so and why do you think there was such a split? There was that,
0: was that fear? What was the? Or I, I think it was religion. Fear. Yeah, and and what was the fear that was in the religion?
1: What, what, what? Uh, so the fear would it was um, well, a lot of people say well, they you know the, taking up that passive scripture out of context where it says you, know, you must be in the world but not of it, mm-hmm. and of course they thought well, reggae music is of the world. Mm-hmm. You can be in the world but reggae music is of the world. Don't be of reggae music. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? And that's just one small example. That could be a whole other discussion.
0: True, yeah. But
1: it's just one small example of that. And I you know, I grew up in that kind of uh, environment, and I, respectfully so. I totally understood mm-hmm. at the time. Um, but for me, it made it difficult for me to even sing because I was afraid to sing the reggae music in front of my grandma, mm-hmm. <laughs> Because of who she was. I mean, yeah. she was a God-fearing woman. And yeah. I respected her deeply and still do. And um, didn't want to sing the Christian songs because I didn't want to be identified as a Christian singer or a mm-hmm. Christian. Wow. So, But, oh, however, I still had that love for it. And it still continued to grow inside of me until mm-hmm. um, my mom passed away. But just before my mom passed away, we had this opportunity where church was going to church summer camp. Bible camp for a week, and my mom says I was going, and I said, I'm not going, because we don't have the money, and long story short, the morning of the the, the, the Bible camp, my mom wakes me up with my bags packed, and um, I said, like, I'm not going, because we don't have the money, and she says, oh where you are, I believe God's going to provide, and lo and behold, she went out to, out back, we had a kitchen that's like, was a shed in the back, so she went out to make me some tea, she comes back, um, and I was crawling, I'd already crawled into bed. She gets me out of bed, goes back out again. A lady comes to the door and drops off an envelope. My mom comes back and she says, who was at the door? I said, a lady from the church she just dropped an envelope off and says, God said it was, she, he laid it on her heart to give you this. So she opened up the envelope and it was $500, exactly what we needed for me to go on this trip. So lo and behold, I was going, got to the summer camp or the Bible camp for the week. And heard about the love of Jesus in a, I would say, in a relevant way to where I was at at the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a church that was just like steps outside my front door in my yard. And I, you know, they don't close the doors. They put speakers through the windows going out <laughs> to the public. So you can't miss it. Um, and so heard the truth of the gospel, but it just wasn't tangible Um, And relevant to where I was at. Mm -hmm. But in Bible camp, at youth camp, I heard it. And we sang Amazing Grace for the first time. I once was blind, but now I see. I remember singing those lines, but hearing my grandma always saying to me, you are a miracle, you know, you're a miracle. And experiencing this newfound life in seeing not only physically now, but spiritually, that I was blind to the fact that, I man, God has done exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever imagine. I can see the doctors are baffled by that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and He did that for me, mm-hmm. and His love and His mercies has kept me and brought me through. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a uh, what we call a gully; it's a drainage system that ran through our yard, and it was at least six foot um, at points deep. It was a you know, and it was stones and concrete. And the, you could. My family will tell the amount of times I would be walking and fall off and fall. Smack, I mean, I had numerous concussions just falling into that thing because I wouldn't, you know, just miss my step. And God kept me, you know, all those times mm-hmm. and the times I ran into things and you know what I mean and stepped out into to the traffic and just imagine Caribbean traffic. Oh yeah. Um. So with that said, God this wonderful opportunity to make a decision for Jesus Christ and came home and I remembered um just being able to step out of my front yard my front door step into church and you know obviously singing was a big part of church in Jamaica still to this day and that's where it actually began for me sure. okay. I was able to reconcile the, the 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 truth of God's hand and his love for me and the miracles that he's performed in my life and and just the the, the the hope that I now have in him and the opportunity I got to walk away from the way I used to be to this new life of relationship, one-on-one relationship with my creator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for all that he's done for me, for where he's brought me from and how he's continued to prove himself more than real to me, I got to sing about it. Sure. But so that's how it began. Sure.
0: We, you know, the that part where you talked about being at that church camp Mm -hmm. and, and obviously you're a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. And and a big part of being a teenager is trying to figure out where you fit in. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and now you're, you're a teenager who, who can see, but, you're obviously loyal mm-hmm. to grandma and loyal to your mom and loyal to the family mm-hmm. um, but then there's this other part right this this musician part of you that's yeah. being called right yes. and when they you're at this church camp and in that line in amazing grace i was once blind and i could see mm-hmm. well that was on multiple levels multiple levels right yes. you know and and i think there was the physical part mm-hmm. right but most of the time in in that song we're not talking about the physical part of now having yeah. physical sight yes. we're really talking about an awakening yes. to what may have been going on the whole time, but mm. we were ignoring it yep. or we're refusing it, it and, yeah. you know, and, and choosing not to look there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, kind of like you said you know, before that sometimes if I don't want to see something, I close my eyes to not see it. Yeah. And I guess we can also close our hearts to things, exactly. um, and then focus on something else. Mm-hmm. I want to fast forward. You know, uh, that, not only that unfolding of that, and then in um, the passion and being able to express that, um, you know, through um, through music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you're at this time period. Well, I'm probably fast forward here. Mom dies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and and that then. Put you into as you were mentioning earlier the orphanage, mm-hmm. and and that ended up being the same, uh, similar to the school right mm-hmm. that you were going to when you were younger. Yes, um, and that's when some uh, individuals were coming from a missions trip. Yeah from Rockford mm-hmm. um, and that was your first exposure or was that, that was the first exposure to that group of people. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, and somehow now how does that, they, they bring you back to the United States and, mm-hmm. and that was, but that was still a temporary, right? Yes. They were, yeah. they were serving as foster, I guess, foster parents oh, yes, yeah. mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. And then, um, got involved with going to school here. You were mm-hmm. a teenager here yeah, and then, um, and got involved with obviously the church they were attending at that time. Yeah. And, um, and then, as you graduated, and some some shifts were happening, that's when the Nyquist came into your life, mm-hmm. and now you're part of their family, yep. and um, and they have three boys, and, mm-hmm. uh, and and on all the different opportunities that they could um, expose you to. Right?
1: Yes, mm-hmm.
0: you were you were a praise and worship leader for Heartland, and then had an opportunity to work at Rye for Christian,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, leading. Leading worship as well, yes. Uh, and then some changes happened. You were yeah. doing that for a long time, Yep. Mm-hmm. And then some changes in the church happened. Some changes in the school happened. And even though things were going well and doing really well, um, they were going in a different direction.
1: Yes. And
0: why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because that was also one of those um, wasn't planned, right? Yes. <laughs> one yes. Of those things. No, it wasn't, so tell us yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, about yeah. tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So um, you know, as as I um, Grew into this opportunity here in the United States. Actually, you know, we talked about you know, starting to sing. When I, um, one of the most pivotal parts of me, um, I, I remember um, where music became kind of like a, a a lighthouse for me was after my mom died, mm. and it felt like I was blind again. Like I was back in this tunnel of darkness. I, you know, Jamaica is sunny probably um, three hundred and you know sixty days of <laughs> the year, sure. um, but I it just felt dark felt real dark. And I remember just going back to some of those songs because the morning my mom died, my grandma said, God will never teach you to swim, to let you drown. He's been teaching you to swim this whole time. He will never teach you to swim. And that was profound because you see, I started swimming. I started singing. I started swimming. I made it through. I got to the United States and lived with this family and got went to church with them. And, and then, um, after, um three years you know they wanted to release their authority over me and then the nyquist came in and 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 took me in as a part of their family but as that was happening um that too was like i didn't i i didn't plan that Mm -hmm. i didn't know i didn't plan coming to the united states you know i'm falling in love with the family that brought me back and then after three years having to you know um leave that and 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 adjust to a new family and then have four other families who said we want to do a timeshare and take and get some of let get some lennox time in our family too mm-hmm. um but it was a part of that 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 journey and i made it through like again my grandma's saying god won't teach you to swim to let you drown then my time at, at at heartland um was was wonderful 15 great years um and you know i was able to um do a variety of different, you know, roles as I I led worship, but, um, was able to work in student ministries, not only coordinating small groups, but as a student ministry, student ministry pastor, pastor of worship and, and programming. And then, um, at the my, my my last couple of years three years or so at heartland was the the director of music over the whole entire church and it was a pretty large church at that time mm. and so um for me it was just like this place of once i was in the in, in 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 the seat on the bus it was just like this is it and we can drive this all the way to heaven because mm. this is good i'm here i we met my wife you know had my own place i don't think um, And my brothers in, you know, in Jamaica really have their own house, have their own cars. I mean, you know, and I had all that stuff and I had a great job and a great church family and everything was good. Mm-hmm. But things shifted again. And I found myself at a, a place where I was kind of going, OK, God, what am I going to like? Like, what am I going to do? Um, Why is this happening? And how does this even make any sense Hmm. as to the plans that you have for me? But in the midst of all of that, my grandma's words, God will never teach you to swim, to let you drown, Mm -hmm. stayed with me. And God was carving out a path according to the plans that he already had um, for my story. Because um, I have this passion. I have this desire to tell of the miracles that God has done in me because the most frequently asked question of me back in the day was why do you sing with such passion the way you do? Why do you, you know, why do you worship the way you do? Why do you draw people in, you know, with, 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 with such a depth? And it's all about the fact that God is not just an idea to me. Mm -hmm. God is not just a, a figment of my imagination or a character in a story. He is more than real. And uh, he has been the one that has set me on this place of purpose and given me this understanding of what hope really looks like when you think you are at your lowest. And when you think um, nothing will ever amount because of your circumstances, Um, there is always a way. And it never looks the way you planned it, mm-hmm. but man, it sure is better than you could ever plan. All right. And so knowing that um, now I have this opportunity to, to go tell, to, to put the story, the miracles, the journey that I've come from blind to sight, you know, home, i um, homeless to a home, hopeless to hope, put that down in book form. And then, you know, start writing music and telling God's story through my music and answering the question that people would frequently ask, why do you worship the way you do mm-hmm. by telling? So started Lennox Barnett Ministries. And, you know, um, um, you're, you're a huge part and a huge ally and cheerleader in that process. And we, you know, started and, you know, ministered and partnered with churches and um, shared and, and uh, doing summer camps and retreats and, and all of that stuff. But in the meanwhile, as that was happening, um, we thought that probably was going to be what was, you know, the, the, the next phase or the thing that was, um, you know, the career or the, the next journey for me for the rest of my life. That'd be maybe like a Christ or something like that. I'd go around the churches and get bigger and better at it and, um, you know, we were laying out all the marketing strategies and all the plans that would make that a reality. But in the meantime, though, God was still up to something new mm-hmm. and different. He was using that moment as a catalyst to where I am now. Mm-hmm. So there,
0: there's an interesting piece. And I, and I remember that time period, mm-hmm. you know, that we would meet, in, you know, different times and and because the temptation is to try to recreate what we just left, yes, right mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think these are some of the things that the Hebrews struggled with when yeah. they when they left Egypt um yeah. after five hundred years of uh, of enslavement mm-hmm. is that they wanted to they they wanted their comfort to be what they came from yes and and so sometimes we try to we, we try to do what was familiar and yes. and, and and that would have been. Being a worship leader, mm-hmm. and now it would just be guest worship leading, right? Mm-hmm. And go to all these different churches. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. In that midst of that, in the midst of that darkness, and in Joseph Campbell talks in the Dark Night of Our Soul, mm-hmm. um, when change is a mist yes. and we're being shaped and changed, um, what was what was that like? Where you were getting some light. But it wasn't exactly the path yet.
1: Yeah. So you know, it was an interest. It was an interesting time because um, uh, as um, I was journeying through that, um, I was determined. There was there's a couple of things that was going on in that process. I was determined to say, I know I've got this gift. I know that there's a need for it. Um and i know that i want to be something better than i used to be mm-hmm. and so i was fighting to do everything i could to make that dream happen mm-hmm. and i know i mean i knew that god was in it i wasn't doing it on my own apart from him i knew i was doing it for i know i was doing it for him and with him but i thought it was going to be um where i was going to just take off and soar Mm-hmm. And that was going to be my footprint on the planet, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you know, blind guy to sight, um, you know, orphan to home, um, hopeless to hope. Guy Lennox Barnett from Lennox Barnett Ministries, mm-hmm. and but that was not it. That was a catalyst. Mm-hmm. I still lead worship. I still, I mean, I just did a conference last weekend um, for Youth for Christ. I led worship up there. Um, and um, in two weeks before I head off to the mission field, I'll be in um, California, um, you know, doing another conference for leading worship. So I still do that. I still do summer camps. Mm-hmm. But that's not my main focus, that's not my main drive. I'm not look. I don't have a booking agent and I'm not looking for bookings. I'm looking for the next mission field where the next group of orphans are um, that need to hear that there's hope for them. So as yeah. Yeah, jump into that, yeah. tell us about yeah. that because that's what so, you're doing now. Yeah. and And that's what I'm doing now. So, as I was in this process of you know bookings and engaging with camps and and leading worship, I, I, I ran into we ran into this um, guy down in Florida um, who runs a missions organization called Habit missions out and out of Charlotte North Carolina, but they um, minister in Belize. He invited myself and my videographer uh, ministry partner Trevor to, to to head down to Belize and we head down there uh, we headed down there. Um, 2017, I think, and got down there, got on the ground, started ministering, and never felt more alive in that seven-day span of service. As I shared with um, youth workers and youth at, at youth rallies, um, at a feeding program for for kids, for orphans, um, I felt like God was saying, "Hey, man, like I created you." For this, think of your story. Think of what you went through from from blind all the way up until now. Like the footprints and the foot or the footsteps you have taken um, over those years. These kids, these people are walking that very same path, and now you can encourage them to say, "I am a God of hope because of what I've done in you." And who better to tell that story than somebody who's walked their path, who's mm-hmm. walked in the shoes that they're walking? Mm-hmm and so um came back from that and i remember sitting in a board meeting with you and the, and the others and said hey i don't know but something's stirring here in me and the thing was Whoa, well wait a second though. we we're contracted uh we we're we are we're we're, 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 con- we're contracting with all these different churches and there's uh, there's resources and income coming in that's going to feed your family and that, and that if you go to this side of the equation it's going to be fundraising and you're going to be a missionary can we i mean and we weighed it and we counted the cost and we prayed about it and unanimously we all said looks like that's where god's gonna be pushing us and leading us and took that step and um now um i'm a full-time missionary stepped out of contracting with churches full-time and um um focusing all my attention on on, on fundraising and, um, you know, reaching and building relationships with missions organizations um, all over the world when it comes to um, the the, the orphan and the fact that they need to know that there's a story that's being written for their lives. So now I travel, um, been to about five different countries in the last year and a half, multiple times um, because we try to build a relationship and go back every single time and have reached over a thousand kids. Mm. Um, um, Year to date, we've partnered with this ministry called Bibles for Kids that um, provide um, these action Bibles. So we've been able to distribute over 600 of those hand deliver them to eat to, to, to kids Um, and then about probably a hundred to 150 kids have made first time decisions to kind of place their trust in Jesus Christ. We primarily minister to the orphan Mm -hmm. because I was an orphan myself. And one of, um, well, one of the many setbacks for me was, does anybody notice me? Mm -hmm. Does anybody know my name? Then the other question I would ask as an orphan is, who am I going to be? What am I going to, what am I going to become? Um, where's my place in this world? Who do I belong to? Mm-hmm. And you see, all those questions I asked, God answered them. He says, hey, I'm a father to the fatherless. Mm-hmm. He says, hey, I have a plan for you. I've given you gifts, and I've given you a talent, and I've given you a hope, and I have a future design, custom design, because of the story I've been writing from day one for you to live out and live in. Mm-hmm. And I believe this to be true for every other orphan, every other, every created being there is, because Hebrews tells us, actually, I'm not Hebrews, but um, uh, Ephesians tells us that we were created to do good works that God had planned long ago for us to do, every single one of us. So that means we're wired to do that. But orphans, like myself, we tend to, because of abuse and because of just living in an institution or in a home without individual care, um, we tend to live in this world of, well, nobody knows me because nobody knows me. I, I have no cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. I have no way of um, receiving encouragement or an attaboy or getting pushed to go, hey, you can do this. And so we struggle with a lack of confidence our self-confidence. We struggle with the fear of, a fu- of the future.
0: So in there's that aspect in, in even though your story as an orphan was a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning you weren't born into the orphanage, right. but it, it happened after your mom died. Mm-hmm. And, um, but even with that, your mom was ill. Quite a bit of your, quite a bit of your life. Yes. So there was really that community on, mm-hmm. the, on that piece of land that that your grandmother had. Yes. Um yeah. So there was a, there was a lot of that, but there were seeds that were planted for you yeah. by by your grandmother, mm-hmm. right? And there was and, and people that spoke into you at that time period. So I very much hear that that's part of your message is that you're trying to speak into. Individuals that may not have someone speaking into them, exactly, and that yes. that God, you, you're being a vessel for God to work through, exactly, for that. Yes, but then there's another part too that you're trying to do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and which is that other piece because a lot of individuals that go and do the mission work will, may attempt to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they they don't have your story, but mm-hmm. they attempt to do that. But you've also saw that there's something that happens that when an orphan. Um, who, who's grown up into the in the orphanage in the institution turns 18, especially in these third world countries, um, there is no uh, the game over right. Yeah. It, it it stops. The resources stop. Yes. And so another part of what you're also doing, expanding the ministry, is to uh, tell is to help those individuals from 18 and on. So yes. tell us a little bit about
1: that. Yeah, so um, I, I have the I have a strong passion for the eighteen year old orphan in a third world country, most third world countries. An orphan um, turns eighteen, and if I back up a little bit, in uh, orphans generally in an under resourced country, um, if they make it into the system, right, um, they are just maintained. They try to give them like the basic needs or they try to meet their basic needs like food and, you know, minimal um, health care if they can, keeping them alive and sending them to school. And we all know, uh, you know, we're both parents, that mm-hmm. it takes a lot more than that, and it takes a village mm-hmm. um, that our kids need to be nurtured and cared for. So then when they grow up, they become highly effective contributors to society yeah. because they are they, they, they were encouraged and you built into them. That doesn't happen in orphanages. Mm-hmm. And so when a, a, an orphan grows up with all these questions of self-doubt and fear of the future and what's going to happen to me when I, you know, when they turn 18 and they, they, they let them out the doors, that becomes a reality. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, at one point, if I wasn't here in the United States, I would have been one of them. And, of course, truth be told, when the, the family wanted me, um, to find another family. The other option was, hey, you can also go back to Jamaica. And the question I was asking myself is, <laughs> what would I do there? Mm-hmm. What would I have done? Who would I be? Mm-hmm. Where would I go? Mm-hmm. You know? And so one of my, 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 my heart's desire is for those 18-year-olds, now that um, they're aging out of the system, how can we come alongside them and encourage them and, and create kind of a bridge home and a program that they can actually live somewhere, be, learn how to become independent, learn how to um, develop some, you know, self-esteem, self-worth and um, pride and dignity in who they are. And I think that begins with them discovering that they are um, huge contributors to society because they were created on purpose for a purpose. They were, they're were they gifted. They have talent. And, and they can do and they can become. And so one of the things that we want to do and that I want to do as we grow into this is figure out what that looks like um, in third world countries and how we can meet that need by creating this environment, this safe place where we Encourage, equip, and release these orphans to become highly effective contributors to society. Finding what, you know, kind of creates in them a, a sense of purpose, whether they can sing, whether they're musicians, whether they're artists, whether they are mechanics, whether they want to farm. What is a good trade or something that they can hone into and go, this is my contribution, this is my possibility to making a difference in my country, in my environment, in my society.
0: So the idea, not only playing the hope and that that they have a story themselves, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also then helping them take that and build on it. Yes. Like numerous people mm-hmm. started doing with you regarding the scene regarding mm-hmm. the music mm-hmm. and then and then even as you were recreating your story from uh, working for an institution mm-hmm. that had all the security and all the benefits and all the things that that, that you're supposed to have to this aspect of being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and and now um, as you had to recreate yourself with that you're now taking that message to um, to these, uh, third world countries to mm-hmm. these uh, places where they don't have the same resources but yes. but it's and I think that's why I, I think it's so important because without a doubt we can have all the resources in the world have access to everything but if we don't have hope we're not going to utilize them exactly and we see that all the time mm-hmm. here yeah. where we have tons of things accessible to us yes mm-hmm. so that is critical it's critical to to speak into these individuals um, yeah. or into individuals but then it also needs to be more there needs to be steps of, of bridge how do we take that that seed that's been um planted in and in, in this awakening mm-hmm. right to what that call may be yeah how do we how do we actually start having that flourish similar to like when you were blind yes Mm -hmm. and then you could see there was a transition period Mm -hmm. when your brain had to start coming in sync with with this new gift that you had yeah it Mm -hmm. didn't feel like a gift at first i imagine no no it it was almost like a burden yeah like you were able to move around easier before yes but you continue to work it Mm -hmm. um similar um when you were making this transition Mm -hmm. um, away from working for one particular church or institution. Yes. And as you transitioned, it wasn't easy. No, but you had to be persistent and had to feel that trust that feeling inside, trust that, that nudging inside that God was pointing you into a different direction, a bigger direction, Mm -hmm. even though it seems seemed way out of reach Mm -hmm. Um, doesn't mean it's not attainable.
1: Exactly, so exactly.
0: We talk about this idea of having big big goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Dalton and Kylie on a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about this idea of having big goals and striving after big goals versus safe goals. Yes mm-hmm. and um, and in that space of having those big goals, there's a vulnerability mm-hmm. but it's also where greatness can come from. yeah, yeah
1: so um, and, and, and that's where and that's where I'm at in in, in, in this next chapter. Is to say, so I, you know, I've done the, you know, you know, you know, kind of went through that falling upwards mm-hmm. experience, yep. right? And um, I, I kind of found my stride, yep. but I don't want to um, remain um, just comfortable in that. I want to, you know, kind of broaden my stride and make bigger footprints, mm-hmm. big enough so that when, so people... I mean, orphans can see and kind of go, okay, there is a way. Mm-hmm. I can walk in this. Mm-hmm. I can walk in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, the next step is to figure out this next journey mm-hmm. and how it is that we can build these houses and um, create, provide this this program with volunteers and resources and support that would you know, take these 18 year olds and put them in an environment where they can thrive, where they can develop their gifts, develop their sense of purpose and develop their sense of calling and then release them in that country. Now, for me, I was taken out of Jamaica and I don't think we should try to take and adopt every single orphan. I think, though, you know, Haiti needs brilliant shoemakers. Mm-hmm. Haiti needs brilliant, you know, um, building engineers or maintenance guys. Haiti needs brilliant doctors mm-hmm. haiti so and 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 orphans are just as capable and able because they were created by the same God um, who does not make mistakes and does not shorthand or cut corners. He just makes us on purpose for a specific purpose and if I can do anything in this world, I want to give it I want to give the, my best shot to this opportunity to help an 18-year-old orphan discover that they were created for a purpose and that they were created to to thrive and they were created to ripple and make a difference and contribute to that society in which they were born. I got to do it. And I'm not smart, but I know this. Like you just said, bigger goals. And I'm I'm aiming and I'm working hard as it depends on me, but I'm praying as hard as like it depends on God.
0: Well, I think, and we've had this conversation numerous times over the years.
1: Praying mm-hmm. to be vulnerable enough
0: to recognize that I need to do this in collaboration with God. With God, mm-hmm. and I need to quiet myself, mm-hmm. which is usually my ideas, my thoughts, my fears, <laughs> mm-hmm. so that I can see, so that I can see, yeah, the direction that He's pointing me in. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's different than the direction that I'm thinking I need to go to in. To go, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Lennox, as we're as we're wrapping up today, and I so appreciate you being able to share that story, that idea um, that I was blind and now I can see, li- there's, there's a literal aspect of that to your story. Mm-hmm. There's a metaphorical part of that to our mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. We all can fall victim yes. to being blind, mm-hmm. even though we can see colors and shapes and all that. True. Cool. Um, and it could be because of something that's happened to us or maybe something that didn't happen. Yeah. it maybe it's because of how I think it's supposed to be versus mm. being open to the possibility of what could be. Yes. I so appreciate you not only being here today. Thank you. Um, if there was something that you could uh, want to, one thing you could uh, leaf for the people that are listening. Um, yeah. What would be with that one thing that you'd want them to know?
1: I said one, the one thing is this man, like, and, and it, I hope it doesn't sound cliche, but I mean, we are all, we were all, um, created with a story in mind that there's a journey that we're on and it's a story mm-hmm. and our paths may all look different and our backgrounds and the obstacles, um, That we're overcoming and going through look different, but it doesn't um, make it any better or any less. That we were designed on on purpose for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And one can live, but you will truly live when you recognize, hey, here's my footprint. Mm -hmm. Here's my purpose. And you embrace it, and you go after it, and you share it, and engage and invite people in the journey along the way. Lennox, thank you very much. What's the, what's the If someone wanted to
0: get a hold of you or someone wanted to support your ministry, what's the easiest way for them to get, either get in contact with you or support the ministry or just maybe ask you questions about it? What's the easiest way for them to get a hold of you?
1: Well, the easiest way for them to get a hold of you is just jump on our, our website. It's lennoxbarnettministries.org. Okay. Um, or, you know, they can uh, follow us on Lens Barnett Ministries Facebook or Len Barnett Ministries Instagram. Um, but the easiest ways is to jump on LenSpironicMinistries.org and, um, you know, you can, um, you know, leave me a, a note or contact us. Um, you can support our ministry um, and, and you can actually follow um, where we've been, what we're up to um, and where we're headed. Perfect. So you know, um, yeah, perfect.
0: Well, Lennox, once again, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing you. your story and, and sharing some of your insights and some of your experiences. Um, as always, I always learn tons of stuff and mm. uh, always inspired when I when we meet. So thank, thank you, Thanksgiving. Uh, thank you very much for being with us today. Um, You know, as Lennox shared about his story um, and his journey on that story that, yes, it was extremely powerful, the first part of his story um, and dramatic from going from being born blind and then being able to see and, and what that was like. But but then also that the story didn't finish there and that even as he continued his life, there's that aspect in which uh, we need to continue recreating ourselves. So thank you very much for being with us today. Um, I look forward to um, being with you again next week.